You all have it? Acts 2, 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Father, we thank you. Lord, I ask that you would just touch each heart, each life, Lord, as we come together. Lord, I pray that we would strengthen as a community, as a family, as a group, as a church, Lord God. So we can't do anything without you. And we need your anointing, we need your power to keep us, to strengthen us, to protect us from the, the tricks of the world, the lies of the devil, and our flesh. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move and empower your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Now the church, the church basically is a community. Uh, it is not a, you know, it's just a, a community. And the only difference in our community, it's not based on locale. In times past, uh, most churches were the center of one little town. And everybody in that town would walk to their church and that would be the center of the community. But it, it's no longer like that. Uh, with the advent of the automobile, people travel miles go miles for the store, shopping. And so, oh, so things changed. No, that's okay, Sam. It's probably a little late. Um, and so things change, and, and the community has been, been disrupted, spread, has been spread out. It's no longer uh, like it used to be. Now, when I grew up, I lived in a little area called Dakota, and it was about a quarter of a mile square block. And it was very, uh, one of the last communities. Everybody in my neighborhood knew everybody. Um, I couldn't do, if I did anything bad, there, you finally got it, huh? Turn it down a little bit, it's a little loud. Hello. It was something wrong. Praise the Lord. Now you can hear me a little better, huh? Amen. Uh, technology is great when it works. When it doesn't, we, you want to shoot the sound man. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm just kidding, Ace. You're, you're doing a great job. Oh, wait, you got, you got it? Amen. Praise the Lord. And so, you know, in my town, if, if, if I did anything wrong on, you know, we had like four, one, two, three, four, five streets, you know, up to 14th, then A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A, that's how it worked. That was it. But if I did something wrong on 14th Street, I lived on 4th. By the time I walked home, my mom was outside the door waiting to beat the tar out of me. Right? And so I didn't do anything wrong in my neighborhood. I go, oh, no, no. I look at these houses. Somebody here knows my mom. They're uh, stool, stool pigeons, liars, right? So I, I couldn't do nothing. But that's, that's not like that no more. We don't know our, our neighbors. We don't know our community. And that was a strategy, I believe, of the devil to disrupt and, and to ruin our, 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 our culture. Right? So we, have, we can't forget that the enemy does have a strategy. What he's doing is not just like happens chance. There's a strategy. Uh, his job is to, to deceive us. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I mean, there's his, his, his job description, right? The enemy of our soul is trying to destroy our church's sense of community. And that's what I'm trying to uh, drive us to. 
uh, having a sense of community. Although we may not live in the same area, we have to become a community, right? The 1960s, in the 1960s, you had a lot of intellectuals. Uh, well, I, intellectuals what I call a very smart dummy. And they would cry out that life is absurd. And they would talk about this in the 60s, maybe when I was born in my area when I was growing up. See, and I found that when the web of community is shredded, life is absurd. When belief systems are shattered, life is absurd. When there's no embracing values, then life is absurd. But when you have these things, no, it's not. The 60s saw a loss of institutional prayer in schools, right? And it was a simple prayer for the kids in this, in the, before 1963. They would pray for their, their teacher, their mom, and the president. That was their prayer. Well, after they removed it, the 60s came and all hell broke loose, right? The introduction of free sex came in right after that in the late 60s. The influx of drug abuse began to run crazy. All these things began right after the enemy strategic plan was to attack the family. And he did it through children, through prayer. A strategic plan to suppress wholesome family values. A direct attack on, on our sense of community. And that's what I'm, again, I'm trying to drive this home for the next several weeks. And, and not only did he take away our community, he begins to steal our faith. That's why they said life is absurd. What, what do we believe in anymore? Right? The growing mistrust people have, and, and, and we all, let's face it, sometimes it's hard to trust anybody, right? You know, people say, oh, I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I heard that before. And because all that's going out there, that, 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 that growing mistrust affects our faith towards God because then God says, trust me. So, and if we're so used to not trusting, it's very hard to trust God. Because we all say, I trust God until everything hits the fan and everything's going crazy. And then you say, wait a minute, God, I'm going to take this in my own hands. And that's because why? We, don't, we, don't, we say we trust, but do we trust? And that's an issue of, of, of attack of the family. If, you're, if you have trouble trusting Right, then your faith will be hindered. Your spiritual temperature is measured by your faith's response. You have to believe because faith moves the heart of God. It's faith. Faith. So at every core or at the core of every broken, uh, uh, broke down relationship, at the core, core of every broke, uh, broken uh, marriage, at that core is a breakdown of faith. Hmm? If faith is not constantly used, and you got to use your faith, then it may cease to exist. Faith. And, and I really believe sometimes the troubles we come are areas that come so that your faith would be used. Because sometimes when you're in your trouble, right, you don't, you're like, God can't come through. It's not going to work. And, and, and it may look that way, and it may feel that way, but what does faith say? And you got to use your faith then. Because if you don't use your faith when your trouble comes, then the next time it comes, it's easier not to use your faith. Then the next trouble comes, and believe me, they keep coming, right? Eventually, faith will cease to exist. And the enemy wins. He steals your faith. Conversely, 
Healthy faith cannot be harmed by current wounds or more importantly, past wounds. See, past hurts serve to develop a faithless person. You know, and that's where a lot of where our, our mistrust is. We can all go in our history and go, oh, man, I, I got burned. Anybody had a bad relationship? And, and then you had that relationship, then you come into the new one. Right? Then you look at that new one and you want to love them, and then you, but you say, but you'll never do what that one did to me. Innocent bystander. And you may not say those words, but I have seen time and time again your actions bring your past wounds into a current relationship. Your faith. See, past hurts can serve to develop a faithless pattern. God doesn't answer my prayers. That's not the way God works in my life. Not even God can help me now. Something is wrong with these people. You ever feel that way? Right. Faith. See, the truth is, God answers prayer. God works by restoring broken lives. God helps us all by removing the pain of old wounds and scars. God, God will lead you to greatness. That's the truth. That other stuff is a feeling. But God is true. So the choices you make will determine your faith. Moral choices, you know, if contrary to what the Bible says, are going to hurt you. Right? But you have to make choices. In your marriage, who are you going to marry? In your work, where are you going to work? And who are you going to hang with? And sometimes the ones that you feel are right may not be right. God, oh, God ruined my relationship. Or the relationship, what happened, God? Well, God is probably saving you, but, but your emotion says he's do, this is not right. But just maybe God is saving you from a bad thing. But it's your choice. You have to trust God. Hmm? You have to have common sense choices. You know, they say common sense is not that common. Right? Faith-filled faith believers pray earnestly, earnestly until they find God's will. And sometimes we, we they're, they're, let's stay there a little bit. Do we know how to pray? Now in the home, they run you through a series of exercises and they're teaching you, but that's good, but you're made to pray. That's not really prayer. That's teaching you how to pray. But prayer, do you know how to pray? Do you know how to get a hold of God when all hell is breaking loose? Right in the middle, when you don't feel like praying, when you can't get your thoughts together, well, that's the time to pray. But what do we do? No, we don't pray. We, 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 we go back to our own methods. How did, it, how did I handle last time? We go back to the old way of doing things. Why? Because prayer just takes too long. Prayer doesn't seem to answer my, my, my immediate question. Prayer. These are common sense things for a believer. Then you have church choices. Different choices, right? How you view God is determined by your church. You know, some, you go to some churches and, uh, you know, God bless them, but I, I, I wouldn't fit in a lot of churches. Why? Because their view of God is not my view of God. And it, there's no reference or no, no right or wrong I'm trying to put here. But they see God as a God who maybe prospers them and, 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 and there's great life and we can just fellowship and go home. And, do, and that's cool. But that's not how I've been taught. I've been taught that, that we, we, we serve a God who's come to this world to conquer the world. 
to, to, to invade the enemy's territory. And when I mean invade, that means for us to invade, that, that, that he is, we're more than conquerors. Like Paul describing how, how he is during to the Roman church, who this was a group of, of soldiers. He said, every soldier endures. So you have to learn how to endure. You have to. See, that's a different view. But everybody has, a, everybody has a choice. For the sake of personality, our personality, God looks a little different to everybody. Right? So you have many choices. But the most crucial element of a church, a church must have a sense of community. That's what I'm saying. Community. See, community is defined as a social group of organisms sharing an environment with shared interests. It comes from a, a Latin uh, word meaning communis, or common, public, shared by all or many. Communis comes from the combination of the Latin prefix con, or con, con, with, right? Which means together. And munis means performing services. So when they say they had all things in common, right away they think, what do you mean, everything in common? No, they worked together and they provided services. They were a community, communis. Right? That's why you get the word municipalities. When you have uh, uh, electricity and gas, these are certain municipalities they, they provide for you. It's the community. Well, we, in the same respect, do the same thing. We have our community, and we provide certain things. Well, what are one of the things Victory Outreach is known for? Victory homes. Right? We, we have a certain element about us. Right? Because let's face it, not too many churches would even want to deal with some of the people we deal with. Can I say that again? They just won't. And that's, that's to, to our, our benefit. Hey, hey, listen, I, I, when I came into the church, nobody wanted to deal with me. I got kicked out of the church at eight years old. Because I told the priest, you're crazy, because I'm not praying to no woman. They tossed me. They said I was the devil. Right? And then, then all hell broke out from there. And some of you have similar personalities or backgrounds where nobody wanted to deal with you. Huh? Nobody would care who you were. Nobody, nobody thought about you. But God did. And because God thought about you, God raised up the community called Victory Outreach. That's what we do. That's who we are. So we're a little unique. Amen? And it says in Acts 2.44 that, that the believers had all things in common. Corn and communis. They provided this service together. Why do you think in the wisdom of our pastor, Pastor Sonny, he does these things internationally? Why? Because he's trying to create a worldwide community, a family and much in the mold of King David, King David would, would demand that all the tribes, all the, the 12 tribes of Israel would come every year. And they would no longer have an individual festival, but they would only have a, a, a united festival. And they had to come to Jerusalem to have this festival. Why? Because it was a, a birth of a new nation. That nation wasn't even a decade old. And what he said, everybody come in. And I see how, how Pastor Sonny is doing it with our community every year. Women, you come in. We all come in. Men, you come in. Youth, you come in. Now, rehab home, you come in. Why? Because Pastor Sonny is trying to develop a global community. 
the wisdom behind that, right? See, but the, the enemy achieves his greatest attack when he attacks our sense of community. When a church uh, malfunctions, most blame a leadership breakdown. But what most often happens is not a leadership breakdown, but a breakdown in community. Well, people say, well, why do they do that? How come is this? And, you know, this, well, Victor Harris is You know what? Let me let you know something. We have a lot of faults. We have a lot of issues. And we need your help. So either you help us or you complain about us. I would much rather that you help us so we can build a strong community because we need you. If you see things that are, are lacking, don't just complain. Fix it for us. Give the brother a break. Give the sister a break. That's what we're looking for because that's what community does. They have things in common. They don't complain about each other. They help each other. Right? See, if you look at the past, community was a seamless web of family, fellow villagers, land, religion, occupation, rights, and duties. Community was characterized by a coherence, a continuity, and a commitment. Everybody had their place. A sense of being needed. Everybody. And they didn't reject another uh, doing something else. That was their part and this is my part. But they all had a sense because they were, at, they were after one thing and one thing only. But today because we live, like I said earlier, we most live, we all live in a broken community. Violence and drug freely cross all economic strata. strata. In fact, a recent Barna sur survey showed that 92% of Americans believe that they are self-sufficient. And only three out of ten adults were trying to find a few good friends. What am I saying? Ninety-two percent of Americans says, I don't need anybody. I'm okay by myself. The devil has won. Because you have a bunch of individuals, but not a strong community. And we see it. There's no more community. Look around. No more communities. You could go, I bet you none of these people know each other. They're all in it for their own bones. And the devil's winning. Devil's laughing. We think, you know, oh, well, I'm, I, I take care of my own bone, me, myself, and Irene. Right, just me. And that's what the enemy wants. But what about others? Right? What about others? See, today we see, we continue to see the weakening and collapse of communities of obligation and commitment. Recently, the most influential, check us out. Recently, the most influential woman of the year was a man. See, Bruce Jenner is proof that you better not eat your Wheaties. Are you with me? I mean, what kind of community have we come to? I mean, if, if I were a woman, I'd revolt. How could a woman accept the fact that the, the woman of the year was a man? You guys, you could, women, you guys should have been mad. But no, because it's, people are oblivious. They say, oh, how nice. Great. There you go, Bruce. No, his name's not Bruce no more. What's it? Caitlin, Caitlin. It's a mind-boggling. Past presidents, past presidents have fought for the rights for the, a mentally deranged sexual pervert to use whatever restroom they want. Huh? 
I mean, a past attorney general, I don't, I don't want to mention names, once said that, and I wrote down, that we must understand terrorism with more compassion. Now, what the heck does that mean? No, nice terrorist. I, I, don't, I don't get it. And just last week, a man and his family, with no evidence, found themselves humiliated, embarrassed, and attacked relentlessly as a result of political battles. Huh? See, these sad realities underscore the importance of our shared values. We may not be able to affect that. Huh? But if we believe in something and we're, we're strong, we can fight off that influx of ugliness, wickedness into our community. And that's what we have to do, people. That's what we have to do. It's amazing to me. It said they devoted themselves, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. To the importance of shared values. So what makes VO a community? First, our vision. We have Isaiah 45, 2 and 3, and Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. Right? Treasures of darkness and an enlarged tent. We talk about it all the time. We put them on banners. But that's our vision. God gave us that vision in 1967. And we haven't wavered. Things have come and gone, come and gone, and good for them. But you know what? We have not changed. Uh, other than we've been always trying to raise our standard. Because believe me, in the beginning, Victory Outreach, we were a bunch of cannibals, or, or not cannibals, no, cavemen. We were just like, what? Are you kidding me? We went to, we, our first, one of our first major conferences, you know, just, we're just Guys and fellas from the hood. This is, we were talking about 15, 20 years ago now. We had a conference in the Wyndham Hotel in Long Beach, California. Huh? And they had a pond, right? And, and, and then you came in, and somebody thought the pond was a swimming pool. And somebody else thought they could hang their clothes after they washed them over the balcony. And somebody else was on the balcony with the hibachi cooking a taco. Are you with me? It was so bad that we can't go back to the hotel no more. And ever since then, we've been raising the standard and raising the standard because we know how hard it is to deal with people from the neighborhood, the people that nobody else wants to deal with. So we have to keep raising the standard, keep raising the standard, keep raising the standard. Why do you think we're a stickler? I talk about, and I'll say this, why do you think I always wear a shirt and a tiny jacket? Well, first of all, I like it. But if, if I didn't wear a shirt and a tiny jacket, you know, with, with the people reaching, they're going to come in with flip-flops, you know, bustiers, and walking in here like, wait, 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 wait. no, no. You can't, can't do that no more. We're raising the standard. We're raising the standard. Raising the standard. Hey, but look, it. we've been doing this almost a little over 50 years, and just some simple people from the inner cities of the world have raised $2 million to reach the world for Jesus. Huh? And we don't play. Our, our people are taught to give. And we are the only ministry, the only ministry, and there's only one other organization that actually rented the entire L.A. Convention Center. We're the only one. Why? 
because we raise a standard. That's who we are. That's who we are. We are the foolish thing of the world, and God has called us. Why? Because we're going to confound the wives. We're going to put the shame to those who think, you think you're all that? Well, check us out. We know we're not all that, but look what God can do to a simple people, through a simple people, through a people who believe in community, believe in our, our vision, in evangelism, in quotation, establishing, envisioning, and equipping, who have a sense and a duty to community, cause, and corporation. That's who we are. See, we will become a people, and I declare, we will become a people who will fight for our community. Fight for our community and fight for our church. So I'm not looking around. Is anybody willing to fight? Fight for our church. Fight for this community. We can't let, uh, when I see somebody else die, and hey, I've seen a lot of people that were in our home die in this city. Uh, and I can tell, I can tell, more than a dozen, they were in my home. Then I read about them in the paper. They were shot by a cop. They were OD'd. They died. Young men, young women, OD'ing and dying. And I am sick and tired of it. But I can't be the only one. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. So we have to be devoted to what we do. Simply, you decide who disciples you. And this is, I, I understand that. I, I, sometimes I get frustrated, but I understand. What I'm talking about is not everybody's cup of tea. They look at me and go, I don't want to be a disciple of that dude. He's crazy. Yeah, I am. I am. I am crazy enough to, to go out and reach the worst of the worst. That, I am. I can't change it. Sometimes I want to beat up the worst of the worst, but it's all right. I, you know, we get frustrated, but you know what? That's where I'm at, man. And, it, and it's hard when people get hit and, and they fall the wayside, but I got to still go. I got to keep fighting. I can't give up. I need people to fight with me. See, spiritual forces continue to attempt to infiltrate churches to ruin the sense of community. And we have to fight. Devote ourselves to the teaching of victory outreach. Devote yourself to the fellowship. Devote yourself to the breaking of bread. Devote yourself to prayer. Devotion. I mean real devotion. Not just, oh, every now and then. No, devote yourself. Everything else should be secondary. This should be most important. Because everything else will burn off and fade away. But what we do for God lasts forever. That's what matters. We have to fight for our values. John Garner, the author of the book on leadership, wrote, with the disintegration of communities since the disintegration, rather, with the, with the disintegration of communities comes the disintegration of shared values. What does that mean? When communities split apart, values split apart. And I just talked about the values. What kind of values do we have in the U.S.? Now it's like anything goes. Hmm? We have to fight. If people in the church cannot fight, teach, and live by any standard or any values, any shared values, principal leadership becomes nearly impossible. Oh. So community, healthy community is in part a co coherent value system. 
It's not for me, but you guys, we can't compromise. Even though the ones that, that, that you love and care, they blow it and we want to compromise. We can't compromise. No matter how hard, hard it hurts, you can't compromise. You got to stay true to the Word of God. Our community and culture hold, hold individual values together. See, with no shared values, individuals experience a loss of meaning. It's like kids. All kids want rules. They may fight the rules, but when, they, when you put rules, you know what it tells a child when you put rules? It tells them that I care. I love you. And the same goes for the community. When there's no values, you know what that says? That we don't care what you do. Just don't bother my family. Go ahead. And you've heard that. Oh, I don't care how they live. They can do anything they want. But as long as they don't bother my family. So everybody's on their own, and the community's deteriorating, deteriorating. Right before our eyes. Jeremiah 29, 11, Very familiar portion of Scripture. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and plans to give you hope and a future. Now, that, that by itself sounds good, but really, you have to look at how Jeremiah was when he wrote this. So he wrote this when some of the people were, were captured and took it into exile. And he's writing to those people that were, in essence, slaves, conquered people, the least of the community. And he, and he tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, those words. But if you go and you really see what happened, it was Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7 that laid the groundwork for that. So here these people were in captivity. They had no hope in their lives. They had no community. They had nothing. They were captured people. Build yourself houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Choose women to marry and have sons and daughters. Choose wives for your son and give your daughters in marriage so that they can have some sons and daughters. Increase, here's the key, increase your numbers there. Don't decrease. Let me say that again. That's why you, you got to understand why I'm, I said we got to grow this church. Because the bigger the community, the stronger we get, and the more we can influence around. He says increase, increase. Not just for the sake of numbers, because it builds strong communities. He said increase the numbers, don't decrease. Verse 7, seek the welfare of the city to which I have called you to go in exile. And pray to God on its behalf. Pray for that very place that you're in exile. For your benefit, your welfare is tied together to its welfare. Now listen to the principle there. See, when we come together a community, as we grow and listen, as God begins to bless, and he has begun to bless, and he begins to bless this ministry, you're going to get blessed. Because your welfare will be tied to the community that you belong to. And the more we tie together, the more blessings. And that's what Jeremiah says. And then he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a future, hope, and so much more. He began, then he shares that. See, God knows what he's doing. He has it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you future and a hope. Plans to give you the opportunity to experience a new meaning in life. And I say that with a new meaning in life. When I came in the doors, I was just a guy from the neighborhood who knew nothing about God. Nothing. 
I, I, all I knew, this is all I knew. Remember, I was kicked out of the church. There's the Father, there's the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's all I knew. But I didn't know who they were, what they were. I didn't, I didn't know any kind of prayer. I didn't know anything. I, and I thank God for that. I was a white piece of paper. And I handed it to Pastor Steve. That man. And I said, here, tell me about this thing. Tell me how I should live. Tell me what I should do. Tell me how to go. I don't know anything about this, man. All I know is I want to change. All I know is I want to be different. That's all I know. And I gave it to him. Huh, 33 years later, I stand here with a new life that I could not imagine. Huh, with a new purpose that I had no understanding about. Did it happen right away? Of course not. It can't. It shouldn't. Did it take some bumps and bruises? Heck yeah. Did I want to quit? Quite often. But did I quit? No. Because I'm telling you one thing. I am not a quitter. I am not a quitter. I learned something years ago from my brother. I remember one time he was fighting this guy, Reno. You know Reno. Larry knows Reno. He's a big dude. 6'3". Probably 280 pounds. Boom, he's big. Big dude. And then I like him. Well, I, don't, I don't mess with that guy. Well, one, day, one, one time, I learned from my brother. I'll never forget it's etched in my memory. He got in a fight with the guy. And he didn't want to fight him, but Moreno was messing with him. My brother is five foot five, 160 pounds. He got in a fight with him, and he's hitting him. And Reno goes, boom, knocked him out. He got up and went after him again. He's hitting Reno. Reno goes, boom, knocked him out. Got him up again, went after him again. He went after him five times, five times, until Reno says, Loma, I quit. My brother says, no, I have to kill you. And he was yelling, I'm going to kill you. I'll never forget that. So Rick Sanchez, Manuel Silva, they know who they are. They tackle my brother, tackle him, and they had to tie him up, and they put him in the back of a truck to get him out of the party because my brother was not going to quit. He wanted to fight him until the end. I'll never forget that. I admire my brother for that. I don't know if I could have done that. But I know he did it. I said, man, we don't quit. I learned that lesson. The next day, I'm walking. There's Reno. I said, oh, man. And he knows I'm his brother. I go, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to walk around. Well, I said, well, I'm, yeah, I'm going to see what happens. I walked, and he goes, Loma. They called me Loma back then. Loma. I go, what's up, Reno? He goes, your brother Rick. He goes, yeah, that's my brother Rick. He goes, I like him. <laughs> he kept boom, 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 boom. I knock him out. He kept coming. Boom, 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 boom. He, told, he said, describe the whole thing. He goes, I like him. You tell your brother, I like him. 
I'm like, woo, man, I was all nervous. Uh, but we have to be like that. We have to not quit. We have to not, you know why? I'm going to tell you, when we fight and we don't give up, when we get knocked down and come back up, the devil might knock you down, you get back up. Let me tell you, God is going to come up to you and say, hey, I like that. He hit you, but you got back up. I like that. Uh, you may have been down. He may have knocked you up, but you shook your head. You got back up. He says, I like that. God wants warriors, fighters, mighty men and women of God who is the devil. You may have hit me. You may have knocked me down, but I'm coming for you. That's the kind of community I want. I like that. Huh? So, Victor, we must create a system of, of affiliation and loyalty. In this type of environment, a sense of belonging can flourish. Huh? That's what we want. Don't you want to belong? Don't you want to be with somebody? Don't you want to be a part of something great? I do. I dream about it. Of being about a about part of something great. That the history of books will say, those people changed the world. Those, and they'll begin to lock, go to little communities. In this community, it began to change, and Victor Outreach was there. In this community, it began to change, and Victor Outreach was there. In Colorado Springs, it began to change. Why? Because Victor Outreach is there. That's what I want. Community. We get, we, we, hey, we may not get along sometimes, but that's okay. We're still family. Huh? Have you ever gotten mad at your brother, your sister? Want to take them out back and beat the tar out of them? Right? Yeah, you know you have. Said, shared a few choice words, right? Right? But you still love them. And one thing about it, you can talk like that to them, but nobody else better. Because if they do, wait a minute, Jay, you talking about my sister like that? That's family, man. That's how we should be. We're going to bump heads every now and then, but we don't let nobody talk about each other. They're not, they're not a part of our community. Uh, Charlie, hey, wait a minute, dude. You don't talk like that. Oh, but you know that guy. You know, look how he looks. You know, he, he looks scary. You know, he's got tattoos. And, oh, no. So what? Huh? That's my brother. You don't talk about my brother. You don't talk about my people. I thought, one thing you, you could talk, I don't mind people talking about me, but when I hear people talking about you, oh, I get mad. And I have people come up to me, oh, pastor, you know that person you got in church? Shut up. Stop right there. Let me talk about those people in the church. Those people are, are trying just like everybody else. And those people love the Lord. No, don't talk about them. You want, you want anything? You pray. You can't use pray, but don't talk about each other. We're a family. Amen? Yeah. Let me close. John Gardner, again, he's a, the, the author I told you. He said this. Tell, John Keller tells us that a group is best served if they have shared symbols of group identity and retells its story often. And, and I'm saying all this so you understand why we do what we do. We have, well, why Victor Average has its logo. Why are we always talking about vision? And then when they come up with theme, relentless pursuit. And why when, 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 when headquarters, when our leaders come up with relentless pursuit, then what do we start talking about? 
relentless pursuit. Why? Because we're in this together. I'm not in this by myself. You know, I, I get, I get uh, frustrated because I don't think we're growing fast enough, but I'm not in this by myself. When they say, let's do this, let's do this. I don't have question whether I like it or not. We got to get behind our leadership. Huh? See, we have to care for each other. We have to trust each other, but we have to have teamwork. Amen? A good community nurtures its members and fosters an atmosphere of trust. Right? They trust each other. And that's where the enemy comes in. Begin to wonder and doubt and don't want to do this. I don't like that. I don't want to do that. No, wait a minute. We have to trust each other. And understand that, we, that, that, that the leader, and uh, me, we have your best interests at heart. We're not trying to harm anybody. There's nothing nefarious going on. See, the culprit that hinders many is a lack of unity or teamwork. And that's where the enemy tries to separate us. We're a team. We're, we're together. Under, uh, we have to undergird teamwork that we need each other. Victor, we're a pool. We're a talent pool of people. We gather our energy. We accumulate our resources. I want this community called Victory Arch Colorado Springs to reach out to treasures out of darkness until the day we die. And I, I mean that with all my heart. I went to, uh, and I shared this. I'll share it again. I met with Pastor Sonny at the beginning of the year, and he walked in his office, and he asked me a few questions, and I told him one thing. I go, Pastor Sonny, I have one goal. One goal. I want to grow Victory Outreach as big as I can. As little, maybe I'm not just little old me. But I want to grow Victory Outreach as big as I can and then die. That's my goal. Why? Because I understand something. I understand. It's not that we're trying to highlight Victory Outreach. No, far from it. But it is the vehicle that God is using to reach out into the inner cities of the world. It is the vehicle that God is using to touch the gang member, to touch the prostitutes, to touch the drug addict. It is the resource. It is the tool that is touching the people, the families. And those families are going to become grateful. Why? Because we got their grandbaby. We got their aunt. We got their uncle. We helped them. And those families are going to come in and say, I got your back, Pastor. We're going to reach more. We're going to go into the highways and the byways and do what God has called us to do. That's what we're about. That's who we are. That's what I'm going to die doing. No matter what, no matter what comes my way, that's what we're going to do. That's who we are. I'm Victory Outreach. We're going to sing this song, and if God spoke to you, the altars are open. <laughs>